and gentlemen, I'm excited to be back here on the show with yet another interview for you all. If you are new to the show, I explore how thought leaders in business, sports, and entertainment think their psychological side of success. And the purpose is to educate, inspire people like you, the future generation of momentum makers, entrepreneurs, people who want to make a dent in this world and find new solutions for their customers. Now, before we dive into the interview today, Pause this podcast right now and go on my website, sergeyross.live, and sign up for my email list for practical productivity hacks, mindset tools I dig up for myself and share with my subscribers weekly so you can learn and get better and also hear the highlights from some of my interviews. Okay, so this time, this is an episode number 53, and I sat down for an interview with the CEO of a San Francisco-based company, People.ai Oleg Roginski. Before People.ai, he co-founded a company called Symmetria that did sentiment and text analytics services for small to mid-sized businesses. With Oleg, we do the whole run-through of hypothetical questions I usually ask my guests to understand how they think, what makes them tick, decisions they have made that got them where they are now. We cover things like what Oleg has learned so far in the journey of being a CEO, what kind of mentors he hangs out with, how he prefers to work, his favorite books, and a lot more. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Oleg. Perfect. Uh, well, I'm here with Oleg, the CEO and, co- and founder of People.ai. Oleg, thanks a lot for coming on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Sergey. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. As I mentioned, you are the first Ukrainian guest here, which is interesting. Um, so you uh, started in Montreal, I believe, and then you founded uh, one company and then you eventually moved to San Francisco and then founded People.ai. What was the decision behind moving to the U.S.? Well, um, my company that was started in Canada called Symantria was acquired by a U.S. entity and part of the acquisition was that they would relocate me to, to the Bay Area to start our West Coast presence. And so uh, that worked out well. Also, in the same time, my significant other got into Stanford Medical School. So all the stars aligned at the same time and uh, I, it, was, it was a great move for me. How do you find, uh, you've been in Montreal. Montreal is pretty well known for the tax scene, obviously different scale. How is it in comparison to the Bay Area where you're at right now for several years? Uh, it's, it's, it's like moving from a hundred people village to Beijing. It's, it's very different. It's, or it's going from 60 miles an hour to speed of light. Uh, it's, you know, when you live outside of Bay Area, you don't, you kind of think uh, there, are, there is more but you don't realize how much more it is there, how interconnected the ecosystem is and how valuable the ecosystem becomes because every right, right. additional person to the Bay Area ecosystem is adding kind of an exponential level of value. Interconnectedness is, is I've never seen anything like this before. And you moved from being, a, you started being a business development rep and then you moved through the ranks, you were leading the team, you eventually went to the vice president, a different company, you founded one company, and then you went all the way to the people AI. Um, obviously, incredible drive. What is the source of this uh, drive for you to, to, to get to this next level, to, to succeed? What are some of the things that uh, drive you on a daily basis? I don't know, that's interesting. I, I, I've had this question asked multiple times before. I don't have a specific, like, I wanna achieve X, and that's why I have this drive. It's more of it's, it's my nature. I, I don't like settling for average. I always strive to kind of learn something new and become the best in the world at something. Uh, it just happens that 
I, uh, I have gotten on the path of entrepreneurship and it's really, really hard to, to become the best in the world at that. The bar is incredibly high. Um, I was just uh, funny enough having um, dinner with uh, my significant other in Palo Alto in a vegetarian Chinese restaurant a couple days ago and Mark Zuckerberg walks, walks in and has dinner with his wife literally next to my table. I mean, that's the Silicon Valley kind of bar. Uh, now, um, there's obviously a lot of kind of character traits or personal aspirations that, that drive me. Um, this year, 2019, has been pretty humbling because uh, I kind of have outgrown the area where I've been before in terms of building a company to the size. And I had spent a lot of introspective and retrospective thinking time kind of internalizing my learnings. It's been my learning rate in the past 29 year in 2019 has gone probably 100x, which culminated in the fact that the only way to continue learning was to bring in an exceptionally senior management team. Uh, and so that was kind of a humbling experience to bring in a CPO, CMO, and COO, each one of which has 10, 15 years of experience on my experience so that I can continue learning from their respective areas. What were, I mean, you 100x your, uh, or so, your learning, learning or the speed of learning last year. What were some of the sources or some of the things that you found that helped you achieve that besides bringing those incredibly smart people on board? Well, to be honest, it's a, it's a boring answer. It's all about mentorship and it's all about getting yourself out of the comfort zone. So the getting yourself out of the comfort zone kind of happened without my complete control. It's the company grew and suddenly from things where everything was clear cut and I knew exactly what to do, it became, oh shoot, I haven't done this before. I need to know what's the best way to do it. Um, the journey started for me in 2018 when I ran into two gentlemen uh, at one of the Lightspeed Venture Partner dinners who have really showed the path to what great could look like. They are uh, Godfrey Sullivan, who was the CEO and chairman of Hyperion. He was uh, leading sales at Apple. And most recently, he was CEO and chairman of Splunk, taking the company to over $20 billion. And the other uh, gentleman who I had brought breakfast with this morning was John Thompson, who is currently a chairman of Microsoft. And prior to that, he was CEO of Symantec for many years. And before that, he was CRO of IBM. Those two gentlemen, uh, uh, John Thompson and uh, Godfrey Sullivan, were spectacular at providing me with guidance in terms of how to uh, evolve the company. But more importantly, both of them really cared about coaching me. Like They're not there to tell me how to do, run my business. They're there to tell me how to become a better CEO and a better executive. And so the humbling experience was that the true coaches who have reached that caliber and that level of elevation, that level of experience, are more and more like Bill Campbell, the character in the book, mm -hmm. the, Bill and, the Trillion Dollar Coach, that was just published, where they really care about growing uh, world-class quarterbacks for their companies. I can't imagine how Bill was able to find that much time to, to coach everybody, but apparently it worked. Well, it, it all starts with coaches. Uh, like, for example, it takes me four to five hours to prepare for every meeting I have with Godfrey or with John Thompson. Uh, no kidding. This morning I had my coaching meeting with John Thompson. I woke up at 4 a.m. Uh, it was an 8 a.m. meeting, and I spent about three hours reading every piece of news on John and all the companies he's involved with. 
um, re-looking at all the notes I've had with my prior meetings with John uh, and just formulating a very tight talk track I would have, I would follow in my conversation with John. And that way, 60 minutes with John were extremely powerful. We didn't waste one second. And I walked away with over 10 pages of notes. And guess what? He enjoyed knowing that every second of his time, which is extremely valuable, has maximized leverage. And I took away everything I could take away from that conversation. Right. Now, what happens is most other people don't put in this much preparation and homework in, in their coaching time and does both sides feel like it's not as valuable right of course uh i mean it's it's definitely and i i had a chance um, to speak to uh to carmine who's the the president and uh, of sharp canada um sharp electronics canada and he mentioned that he had done multiple trips to japan and he talked about the fact that how much time they spend on preparation and pretty much any high performer, like incredible high performer, they spend most of their time on preparing and planning. And those are the two things because that's how you, you actually extract the most, uh, not only from your day, not only from your schedule, not only from your goals, but also from meetings like you want just described. Like where any of your favorite learnings that you had a chance to pick up over the last year, maybe over the last couple of years from your mentors, Besides the fact that you became more open to more open to criticism or more open to uh, things that you should be doing in your company, well, my my file with learning is probably about forty five pages long at this point, and it's only bullets. Uh, I'll never forget one phrase mentioned by Christine Hackard, who used to be, uh, I believe, CMO of Cisco at some point, and then CMO of Brocade, and now she's running a startup called Scalar, um, and. Um, Christine said something that really stuck with me. She's like, when you have the right person in the seat, everything is easy, even the hard stuff. When you have the wrong person in the seat, everything is hard, even the easy stuff. And that phrase, that quote has been paramount to me in terms of evaluating pretty much everybody on my team. I literally look into how are we doing on hard or easy things? Is it easy or hard? It makes everything black and white and shows you the trajectory of whether you have the right people on the bus. And so, and, and at, my, at the size of people AI right now, it's all about having the right people on the bus. If you have the right team, uh, and the team is enabled, and thank God we are extremely well-funded, um, and the customers like the product, like the only thing that can mess us up is having the wrong people on the team at this point. Right, right. Uh I mean, I believe you mentioned in one of your articles, or it might have been an interview that I've uh, that I've read before this uh, before this conversation. Is I you mentioned that we want to hire, or I want to hire the right people, so we avoid making mistakes. Is that a, a culture of trying to avoid mistakes, or you're trying to avoid mistakes from the people who are in the driver's seat? Uh, neither. The way I look at this is. Um, the def my definition of hyperscaling means moving at the speed that is faster than an average human's learning rate. So by default, if you're hyperscaling, people unfortunately typically cannot keep up with kind of learning the new stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's why if you want to be hyperscaling for this definition, 
the only way to continue growing the velocity is by bringing in people who have done this before and for whom this is not a learning experience but the coaching experience for the rest of their team. So by bringing in leadership who has, that has gone through this phase before and has seen what it looks like, have felt what it feels like, uh, not only we are accelerating our pace, but also the second layer of folks under these leaders are learning from someone who has done it before, not from the experiential learning, which is much faster and less mistakes are being made. So you're compressing that timeline, basically. Exactly. You're compressing the, the timeline of your company by, both, by augmenting uh, the experienced leadership with really high quality up-and-coming talent underneath that is able to, uh, to suck in all this knowledge and thus kind of complement the leadership we bring on. But this requires, this requires very strong kind of hiring uh, um, expertise in terms, of, um, in terms of both you need to be able to find talent that is able to learn quickly to create that VP level, a VP level layer, uh, as well as you need to be able to go and hire leaders, C-level executives way out of your league who are two, three years out in terms of experience levels yet are able to scale down to your size to provide that leadership layer. Right. Is there a danger of hiring somebody who's a little bit too high caliber for a 150-people employee team, and then it takes them a little bit more time to deliver value so they are not quite that strong in execution at that scale? Are there any traps there? Oh, of course there are traps there. However, what's really important is that um, you test for that in the interview process. We are religious about our interviewing process here at People AI. Um, there is two elements to it. One is there is a book I would recommend to everybody called Who by GH Smart, which basically is an amazing mental model and kind of set of checks and balances for how to build your hiring process, how to define who you're looking for, how to find all of the blind spots of people you're talking to and how to figure out whether they're right or not, and then how to flow all that preparation work into your post-sales model, or post-closing model where the prep work in pre, pre-hire becomes the basis for the performance management and performance right. reviews post-hire. That is spectacular. And the second piece that uh, we are very, very religious about here at People AI is our hiring philosophy. And we, there's an acronym we use internally. It's called ICE with triple C in the middle. It stands for intelligence, character, coachability, curiosity, enterprise experience, and domain knowledge. We evaluate everybody who is joining People AI who is applying on ICE, and we do not make compromises on any of those items. It's binary. You either have it or you don't. And... Do using that and they know a priority. You have to be an intelligent person. Goes without saying. Then you have to be a good person. Like there's no brilliant jokes here, and that's what no asshole policy. Second, no asshole policy. Yeah, no asshole policy, and that's that. That's a that's a must have. There is absolutely zero exceptions. You have to be coachable. Like I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that I'm very coachable, and that's why I can work with mentors like John Thompson and Godfrey Sullivan and. David Echeria, et cetera. However, everybody else in the team has to be coachable as well. Last one, last C is curiosity. If you're not curious, if you don't care, like what are you doing here? 
And the last two pieces are more functional. Please note that they are kind of on the last two. They are the, the last two in the list. Enterprise experience. We work with large enterprise customers. The learning rate for you to go from B2C to B2B in many functions here, like besides engineering, is pretty high. So we might as well go for people who have done this before. And then domain knowledge is the only optional item there. And if you haven't done exactly what we do, that's fine. But we expect you to take a bit longer to look around. And just having this kind of philosophy is extremely important because if everybody in the company is focused and aligned on it, then the results are predictable. Right. Yeah, and that's all what you need to to do the to do the hyper growth cycle. Um, obviously, you are growing super fast. You have an incredible team. You have an incredible advisory team. What is something that you are incredibly excited for right now? Uh, in terms of company, in terms of personal. Uh, let's start with the company. Yeah. So in terms of company, I mean, we we just started our fiscal year, and the three executives I brought on board, which are uh, CMO, CPO, and COO, who started in the last two three months, have spent the last two months putting together incredibly exciting operating plan for 2020. There is absolute clarity in everything we do. We know exactly how we're gonna execute, where we will play, how we will win what kind of management systems and and philosophies we're going to put in place. And what's interesting is because these three executives started at the same time, it created this kind of like almost like a classroom atmosphere where the whole team is exceptionally aligned, um, exceptionally aligned on where we're going. So that's one piece. I'm excited about how we're going to execute. And this is the first time in my career where there is absolutely zero questions that first of all, we know what to do. And second of all, it's going to work. Then secondly, uh, what I'm really excited is both our product roadmap as well as the people we have on the team today. And it's actually very related. So the product roadmap that that we are uh, focused on right now is, and I don't want to spill too many beans, but the product roadmap is all about um, unleashing the managers. Uh, in a good way of it, by or better way to say it, it's about. Um, so we we have a million tools for mm-hmm. salespeople, for marketing folks, etc. We don't have much in terms of how to empower sales managers and other types of managers just to be better leaders. And so we found a way using our technology to unlock leadership capacity across all of the organizations we are working with and turn most of their managers into really good leaders. If you think about it emotionally, uh, everybody remembers their first great manager who made you into what you are today. There's emotion. It's almost like family. Now, what if every manager could be like that? Well, technology and AI can help us with that. So that's second piece I'm excited about. Third piece I'm really excited about is that our team has internalized that mission of helping the world by making managers better. Um, And we are kind of like bringing this gospel to the world and the team internally is very much focused on being better leaders. So you're seeing this interesting dynamic internally where people are accelerating each other's leadership development by focusing on best practices, by 
participating in the product development in this area, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just beautiful to watch. So your product or the part of your product influences people who are working within the company on the product in a way. Yes. Like the, the direction of the product forces them to be better leaders. Yeah. And when you have better leaders, better people join. It's a flywheel. Yeah. What about personal? Uh, like anything, uh, anything interesting happening? We are in 2020. Uh, anything that uh, makes you look forward to this year? Well, this one is kind of scary. Um, now that I have very strong leadership on board, I can actually take a weekend off. And, and I'm running into a grave um, dilemma of what do you do on weekends, but not work. And so uh, 2020 is about... Uh, kind of being less operational for me and being less kind of on the on the field and more become about being the coach off field while my executive team is 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 running the team and kind of do, being on the front lines. So learning right. to be um, a bit more focused on spending time with customers, so increase the amount of time I spend with customers with prospects, be more strategic strategy focused and less operationally focused. Right. Um, let's see. I mean, you've been in uh, the leadership role in, in tech in startups for a very long time. You are the CEO right now. If you had to do something else, if there was a different role besides being a CEO, besides being in tech, any idea what that could be for you? To be honest, that's a tough one. I've, I haven't done anything else in a long, long time. I don't even know how to work for someone. Um, I don't know. I, uh, uh, an interesting idea is, so a couple friends of mine, excuse me, <coughs> they are investing here in Silicon Valley and they're investing, uh, in, um, through this interesting concept, it's called the anti-job offer. So instead of being regular VCs, they actually are finding really promising talent, people who have who have this spark in their eye, who have this like jolt of energy that they'll walk through walls. And then instead of uh, having those people go and work somewhere, they literally give them an investment called the anti-job offer to quit and start something. So uh, Kevin Mahaffey, who was our first investor, did that to me. He actually made me quit what I was doing back then and start my own company, People AI. And so... If I weren't running a company, I'd probably do more of that. I would, I would go and look for people who I really believe in. Uh, I believe they can change the world and, and then set them up on that path. Right. No, that makes, makes a lot of sense. It's also a good sense of purpose for you, I feel like, being driven that much to be the person who you are and also help make more people be, in a way, uh, achieving similar things as, as you do. Now, this is a, a hard question. Uh, but let's see if you if you can't answer, we'll we'll move on. What do you wish people asked you, um, but they never do? That's a hard one. Um, <laughs> I knew I had to say that. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I'll. I have an answer for that one. Um, I wish people, when joining us, asked me. How does this go wrong? How do I fail? Let's imagine a failure scenario and then let's build a structure 
uh, of how you don't get there. And unfortunately, very few candidates think that way. Uh, obviously, positive thinking and all that stuff. So it kind of sucks that I have to imagine that myself and without scaring them, kind of find a way to, to probe if they are uh, optimists in that sense and how we can position them for, them for success. Uh, however, candidates never ask this question. It's interesting because I, I, I might be wrong, but I believe Charlie Munger was somebody who was asking this question, like, what is the worst case scenario or what are the things that could prevent us to get to where we need to get to? And then you actually create a list of, oh, these are the things that's going to hold me down or these are the things that are actually going to probably happen and that will be impact on and on whatever the outcome you're trying to get out, get out of it. And, and then you do whatever needs to happen to minimize that, which... Um, which is an interesting, I believe it's called inversion. Yeah, it's, it's called inversion, and I wish more people read Charlie Munger's Almanac, uh, right. and, and they would be asking better questions. <laughs> no, that's a good point. Uh, I, I'm gonna ask this classic question, I believe probably most people are uh, asking that all the time. Any advice that you would give to three-year-old self? Three-year-old self, wow. 30, 30. 30. Oh, 30, uh, okay, 30-year-old self. Uh, Knowing what you know now, uh, you've been. This is not. Well, I'm 34, so I'm trying to think. I'm 34, so I'm trying to think. Four years ago. (laughs) Uh, No, I I I would want to do the same thing again. That that's 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 exactly. Equally, I just turned four years this week, so uh, that's exactly kind of. I would want to go through the same path again. Well, I mean, uh, that only can say that you're on the right track. So this is a, a hypothetical question. Uh, what you might accomplish uh, if you had to compress your 10-year-old goal in six months uh, if somebody had a gun against your head? What I might accomplish? If you had, a, you had a 10-year-old plan, you have to get it done in six months under a lot of pressure. Well, you can't do 10 years of work in six months. What you can do is you can figure out what's most important and focus on that. It's much better to do one thing really, really well than try to do a hundred things okay. And so I would go through a very structured prioritization exercise and pick one win I would achieve in those six months uh, in a way that, that, that is really powerful. In, in, in fact, 2019 is actually for people AI mm-hmm. about that. We have gone through a ruthless prioritization exercise. We picked one direction, one kind of laser targeted goal, and we have realigned the whole company on that one thing. We created common vocabulary, we created common time horizon uh, nomenclature. Everything in the company is, is, the whole company is like a spring pointed compressed and pointed in one direction that's about to fire off and that our sales kick off next week, which feels really, really good. Yeah, it's a lot to do with with uh, with the focus. And I mean, I'm sure anyone anyone who reads Steve Jobs or anything close to people like that, there's this maniacal focus on one specific thing and, and going really deep on that and building the structure around that, which sounds like exactly what you're doing. I wanted to talk about your personal um, your personal routines, things that you're doing on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, you're you're focusing on a ton of different things. What does your morning routine looks like? My morning routine is so I'm big into all of the data I can collect about myself. 
So I sleep with not one yeah. but two devices that do sleep tracking oh, no, no. and everything else. Are you, are you trying this Aura Ring? Yeah, the is. one that this yes. one right here. Yeah. I have Aura and I also have a blood uh, oxygenation meter to see if if I'm mm -hmm. breathing correctly at night. So I wake up by taking those off, uh, and um, I obviously take a shower. In the meantime, I'm brewing my, my favorite tea, uh, and. Um, I uh, start my cars um, heating remotely, uh, and by the time I get out and get ready, I'm in my car listening to a podcast, driving for an hour to work, um, and then and then I'm in the office uh, like that every day. What about are you doing any like meditation, journaling, any of those things are part of the routine? Unfortunately, not. I, I haven't I haven't gotten there yet. I'm curious. But I just haven't had the time. And until four months ago, I had nine reports, which means every second was extremely, extremely valuable and uh, already pre-assigned. So I am looking to get into more of mindful um, approach in the next uh, few uh, months. Are you um, are you scheduling purposely or finding time during a day to do nothing? To just think, do a take a walk. Uh, drink your coffee in the coffee shop. Anything that allows you to think strategically, high level, just just step away from from all the all the tactical, all the fast paced things that you have to do. Have to, to block do. an hour or two uh, every day. Plus, my driving time helps with that. So when I'm driving, I'm typically either listening to a podcast or just driving in silence and thinking. What do you What do you like to listen to? Um, there's a whole number of podcasts, mostly ebooks as well. So right now I'm actually finishing up um, audiobooks. I'm, right now I'm finishing up The Trillion Dollar Coach, which is really interesting. Uh, I just finished the Ben Horowitz new book uh, about culture, You Are What You Do, uh, which was um, interesting and controversial and exciting. And I, I, I know Ben uh, through Andreessen Horowitz, so very much like Ben Horowitz. Um, mm -hmm. So so yeah, uh, I have mostly business books related to what I do. Right, right. Um, do you have um, like are there any things that you're doing in the evening specifically before you go into bed? Any anything that helps you with your sleep, or you take it depending on what day brings? It depends on what day brings. Whether I had late dinner or not, um, I try to obviously spend time with my fiance. Uh, and uh, just catch up on the day, and then uh, read a little bit, and uh, and go to sleep. Right. Any ideas? Any ideas? What you're gonna be doing on the weekend if you get a chance to spend a little bit more time uh, uh, off work? That's a very distant possibility, but uh, I really like hiking, and California makes it super interesting and exciting. And there is literally ten thousand trails all around uh, where I live. Right. Uh, are there any uh, beliefs or behavior that you adopted, let's say, over the last five years that really impacted you personally, impacted your your behavior, your thinking? I mean, there's a ton of stuff that I've learned that, that's impacting my behavior. Uh, you have to be learning maybe, every day. Yeah, anything that you maybe keep coming back to or... You, 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 like it's something on your mind. Um, I mean, I, I have 
hundreds, like I, I actually have a file in my Evernote where I write all these things down and I try to review it at least once a week. Just read through it quickly and then these are small tidbits that always uh, always kind of come back to me in the moment. Um, right. I mean, the last few years have been all about the journey of kind of my job changing. So with every stage of the company, my job completely changes. So I like to compare it to kind of an American football game where serious seed and A, I was, I was on the field together with everybody else. By series B, I became kind of the quarterback behind the line, uh, kind of putting the, the ball where it needs to go. Um, and then uh, after series C, I'm not even on the field anymore. I'm the coach off field uh, who is coaching my executive squad quarterbacks. And then by the next round, I need to learn how to not only be the coach off field, but the head coach who never even comes to the game uh, and who uh, just does the kind of overall high-level coaching of top players and coaches themselves. And so this kind of transition at every point is really difficult to make because how you think needs to change, what you do needs to change, how you position yourself and others needs to change. Uh, it's kind of like you're reinventing your job every time and you can't really learn it from the books. You can learn it from experience and from coaching of a very small handful of other CEOs who have to go through it. And I mean, coaching probably happens to be the core piece that would help you to, to move from the stage to another stage. Are there any tools or tactics um, that you found that helped you to progress from, from these stages? Uh, every these time stages. you meet with a new person who could be your coach, uh, it's vitally important to write down and memorize everything they're saying that's valuable and then actually get back to them with your own summary of everything you learned from them. That creates a very interesting moment mm -hmm. because you're showing to the coach that you actually listened and you learned and, and you value what they said and you've put in the effort, which then creates this very interesting coaching opportunity where you keep on going back and forth and it's, it becomes a true kind of trusted relationship. Uh, and so if you make that a habit, every time you learn something, uh, you share it back to the person you learned it from, it really accelerates both your learning as well as it attracts more people you could learn from to your orbit because you're not wasting anybody's time and people learn, people talk about that. It's pretty incredible the fact that how many people listen and uh, they, they hear the advice that gives them, somebody gives them and how few actually execute on it and report back. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. There's actually a blog post by Lars Dahlgaard was the founder of Success Factors and then a partner in Andreessen Horowitz, which I always come back to. It's called Use Your Ears. It starts with, you have two ears and only one mouth for a reason. You should listen twice as much as you talk. And so the whole blog post is about active listening, which is, I find, the core tenet of any kind of insightful and thoughtful person. Um, it's actually something so, I measure. I measure during yeah. interviews. I I just shut up and see if they're gonna start filling in the the void, and if they are more of a listener rather than talker. It's a good way to to gauge for that as well, hundred percent. And also gives you a sense of uh, their personality. You are probably are doing a lot of personality tests as well on top of it. 
what is your superpower or something that you are incredibly strong in that other people don't have? Hiring people out of my league. So I'm, if there's one thing I should, I hope I'll be known for eventually is building the most powerful team, which we had no business having, but we still got it and the team propelled us forward. So my job is to put together an incredible team and the team will do the rest. I remember a conversation I had with uh, one of the CEOs here, um, uh, a Canadian startup called Top Hat there in education space. And uh, I was at an event and I asked the CEO, like, what is the most important thing? What are you actually working on? What is the most important, the biggest priority for you? And he answered hiring. Uh, and, and he was saying that how hard it is to, to find the talent in Canada of the right scale. And he always referred to, I have to go back to the Silicon Valley to find the right talent exactly for your reason, because you are, they are scaling the company. And, and almost all of his questions or all, almost all of his answers were about hiring. It's all about hiring. Um, so that's really, really interesting. He actually hired one of our investors as his chief revenue officer, John Hood, mm. from Silicon Valley. So um, that's true. Interesting. No, that's uh, yeah. It, it, the talent talent makes uh, all the difference. Let me ask you this: What fear have you overcome, or what fears you had to overcome to get to where you are right now? Um, again, related to hiring, it's hiring people who are, in some ways, more senior than me. The biggest mistake CEOs can make is trying to be the smartest person in the room and keep it that way by hiring people who are not as experienced as you are, so you always look good, that is a death spiral. So I had to overcome, obviously, anyone would have these fears uh, by default, but I had to overcome and kind of uh, internalize it and become very comfortable with the fact that um, the only way to go forward is to hire people who know everything better than me in their respective domains. And uh, I just focus on one or two things that I, as a CEO, should be doing, which is keeping the company funded, um, hiring the right executives who are smarter than me, and just getting out of their way and letting them do the job. Right, right. Well, that definitely uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, you mentioned a couple of books, uh, Ben Horowitz, uh, there's uh, 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 the Who book. Uh, I'll look up the author so we can link it in the show notes. GH Smart. Uh, are there any uh, other books that you've uh, gifted or uh, you uh, keep coming back to? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, obviously, is a, is a, is a classic. Uh, Measure What Matters by John Doerr is spectacular in terms of creating a culture of feedback and a culture of um, uh, like performance management through OKRs. Uh, Trilindor Coach is coming out spectacularly and I'm learning a lot from Bill Campbell there. Um, what else? Uh, the um, You Are What You Do, the one I just finished, is really good for culture building, um, especially for a later stage. Um, what else is interesting? Yeah, those are kind of my, my, uh, my mm -hmm. books that I keep on reviewing all the time. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a very, very, very good list. I'm going to throw in uh, one of the last questions, and this is a Peter Thiel style. Uh, what is the one thing that you believe in that others would find insane? That's what I mentioned today. I always get a you're insane pushback when I say that the definition of hyperscaling 
by default is when is, is to grow faster than the rate at which people can learn. Everybody pushes back right away saying, yeah, no, but it's not fair. And do you even need to grow that fast? But in my mind, the definition is if, if you can keep up, if an average person can keep up with the learning rate, with the growth of the company, you're not growing fast enough. What is the purpose? I mean, there is obviously some reasons to have this hyper, hyper growth. Uh, what do you see the main benefits uh, to scale that quickly? Um, winner takes all dynamics. This is only possible and doable and required in a market where one company can dominate the market and thus you build not 20 100 million dollar companies but one hundred billion dollar company. And so the moment you realize that your market is a winner takes all market, you gotta step on the gas hard and you gotta be that one company that takes all of the um, oxygen out of the room basically which is what Peter Thiel in his, that's another book that uh, I would recommend, uh, says in the book that it's a, uh, you need to create a monopoly in that case. But you need to create a monopoly not because of kind of natural or unnatural protections like government regulations. You need to create a monopoly by having a 10x better product, which leaves any other product behind in the dust. I believe the quote you mentioned, uh, taking the oxygen out of the room is from Uncle Bezos. Uh, that, that's a good book as well, the, the Everything Store. That's a great one. Well, I read that one too. Um, oh, like, great, great conversation. Is there anything uh, you wanted to mention that I might have missed or any final message that you would have? No, this has been a lot of fun. So I, I really appreciate insightful questions. I don't think I have I have done uh, a podcast solely focused on how I think. So this was really interesting. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was great. I'm a big fan of Ben Horowitz as well. He talks a lot of it about in his book, Hard Things, about hard things. And that why I was inspired with the, by that in a big way. And uh, so it was really interesting to, to learn from you. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sergey. If you guys enjoyed this interview and want to read the highlights, hear about the new episodes and read about the productivity tools and hacks that I'm experimenting myself, go on my website, sergeyross.live and sign up for my email list. You'll see a pop-up on the right. You can put in your first name and email and go do this. Pause the podcast right now. Stop listening to me and go do that right now. Thanks, guys, for listening. I will see you the next time. We are out.